2: Welcome to Is This Real Life?, a Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives in the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, Real Lifers. Oh my goodness, what a week. There were so many moments this week that I really was asking myself, is this real life? I mean, years from now, I think people will ask, you know, where were you when Jen Shaw got arrested? And, you know, there's nothing quite like one of our own, someone from the Bravo universe, getting arrested that just brings us all together, you know? We all remember the Christmas when Luann got arrested. We all left our families and got on Twitter. (laughs) Just the same thing happened this time. It was so wild. And I think that the Southern District of New York, which is the district that indicted Jen, I don't think they know what they're in for with regards to the bravo community and that was certainly the case on wednesday during her first arraignment hearing when so many bravo fans dialed in that jen couldn't even get on like on the line for her own arraignment hearing and i don't know whether or not to be horrified by this or somewhat proud <laughs> No? And so then it was postponed to Friday. And of course, I dialed in on Friday, and it was a really, really interesting hearing. I have Emily D. Baker on this episode to break down the charges and we recorded before the hearing. So I'm just going to quickly run through some of the notes that I took with you guys. Then we'll get into my conversation with Emily D. Baker, attorney at law. And then I have a hilarious conversation with the one, the only Jacques Peterson from the podcast unpopular with Jacques Peterson. And he gives all of his unpopular and very hilarious Bravo takes. Okay, so here are the notes that I took on Jen's hearing. So both her and Stuart pled not guilty, which I think was pretty expected. But this was interesting. It appears that Stuart has been more cooperative than Jen has been. Specifically, Jen has not been very clear and forthcoming on on the pre-trial services documents, especially with regards to her finances, so much so that the judge had to ask, like, did she earn an income from the other businesses that she has from being on the Real Housewives? It also was made clear that she did not have any property in her name. She may have there may be property in Sharif's name, but not in her name. And she was ruled a flight risk, but has an expired passport, which was taken by the government, so she's currently out. She has a personal recognizance bond of one million, which is secured by two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cash or in property, and it has to be signed by two financially responsible adults. The other thing that was made clear was that Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith were at the top of this fraud scheme. So they're where it ended. And it appears that this scheme was extremely lucrative and that one of the shell companies that Jen and Stuart were involved with generated $5 million in income for them in the last three years alone. And this is just one of the companies. And I think that there were many Something that I've been doing over the last few days is trying to look back and find any time Jen spoke about what she did for her business. And we all saw um you know on the reunion where she talked about an algorithm and it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Well there is an article from January of this year where she talks about her direct response marketing business and calls herself the Wizard of Oz, basically saying she's the person behind the curtains and no one really knows what's happening. And I thought, Ooh, that's pretty damning. Well, another thing Kate Casey pointed out is that Beauty Lab and Laser, Heather's company, has a podcast and it's called Live Lab, Laugh Lab, Lab like L-A-B, like Beauty Lab, Live Laugh Lab. And a couple years ago, before they even started filming for The Real Housewives, or maybe right around that time, Heather and her business partner had Jen Shaw on their podcast. And they asked her a lot of direct questions about her business and how she makes her money. And Jen basically talks about developing lead lists. So I urge you all to go back and listen to it. It is absolutely fascinating. All right, it's time to get into my conversation with Emily D. Baker, and then we get into hilarious conversation with Jacques Peterson. As always, be sure to follow me on social media at Mandy Slutsker on Twitter, Instagram, and Clubhouse. And if you enjoy the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and give it a nice review. I always appreciate it. Now, without further ado, let's dive into the Shawrested development. Hi, everyone. I am here with Emily D. Baker, who I am so excited to chat with. She's a legal commentator, a prior LA district attorney. She has a hit YouTube channel where she does in depth videos about high profile pop culture legal cases and the podcast, The Emily Show. It's been a wild week for you with like things <laughs> happening with the housewives, with Britney
0: Spears, with Nike. How Absolutely. are you doing? I'm good. It it feels it feels like too much this week because it's been kind of a slow and steady trickle of cases and this week feels like I don't not even a fire hose. It feels like it's just coming straight out of a fire hydrant or something. It's been a wild week. I was on a live stream talking about Nike and mischief and the little Nas X Satan shoe and the trademark implications and how, you know, a very modern thing, this kind of guerrilla marketing, if you will, or outrage marketing with this shoe that's being, you know, artistically designed by a collective that also is actually a Nike shoe that's not affiliated with Nike pushes the bounds of kind of trademark law. And then I opened Twitter and Jen Shaw's been arrested and I, my mouth <laughs> fell open. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to turn to. Like I'm by myself in my office going, what is, ha- what's happening? What's happening? I started texting people and then I got pinged by a friend into a clubhouse room saying they're talking about this. And so I hopped onto clubhouse. I started get I got on my computer to try to pull up charging documents and I feel like I haven't stopped talking about this case since then, but for an hour last night in the bath to watch Real Housewives of New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I have to unwind. I now want to go back and watch uh, Salt Lake City. I want to go back and rewatch this with kind of fresh eyes and see Jen Shaw talking about her business in context that we now know more about. Her mystery business.
2: So I was on that clubhouse, and while I was on that clubhouse, I was Googling anything Jen Shaw had ever said about her businesses. And I was DMing with Kate Casey, and I was like, Have you seen this? And it's an article where she explains how she runs her business, which is extremely opaque and you can't understand any of it. But she calls herself the Wizard of Oz of telemarketing like she's behind the curtain orchestrating everything and no one really knows what's going on is basically what she said and I was so shocked and Kate was like get on the stage tell Dave you know so I share this and people are like wait what and so it's almost as if this has been hiding in plain sight it feels like for those of us looking back you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. trying to find clues. Is there anything that she said throughout the course of the season that you think back about now? And you're like, Hmm.
0: I mean, at the reunion, we saw the ladies going, I still don't understand what she does. Right. <laughs> of course you don't. I've read through this indictment. I've started reading uh, Twitter, the Twitter sleuths and the, the, like the Bravo watchers, the Bravo community finds stuff like the US attorney's office should be thanking Twitter for all the stuff that's been dug up. I'm sure they've dug up other stuff too. But people pulling up the Better Business Bureau ratings of uh consumers complaining about this scheme and saying this is how this happened and these are complaints from back in 2019, 2018 and We see the indictment from 2019 that lists the other defendants as part of this scheme and are starting to dig through it. But in this season, I didn't watch it with this eye with these eyes. And so the reunion comments stand out to me. Um, The fact that she was like, I have the algorithm and I'm like, you didn't what, what are you even talking about? And then looking at the, There's two indictments, right? There's a 2019 indictment that charges defendants one through nine. And then this indictment with Jen Shaw charges her and Stuart Smith as defendants 10 and 11 in the 2019 indictment. There is um, an allegation that the, guys involved in that were calling one of the websites they used as the like money sucking website. Like this is how they were pulling leads in. And I'm like, it's just so crass the way they're talking about this and the way it's alleged that Jen was involved was pulling in these leads and then turning them over to the telemarketers that are going to defraud them, knowing that they were being defrauded and knowing that she was going to get a cut That's what the indictment says. And I just have that scene from Twilight in my head where they're like going to see the Volturi and they're like luring all the humans in like, here's a tour. Look at this. And then they put them in the chamber and get eaten by the vampires. I was like, (laughs) Jen Shaw is the one like, come, (laughs) come to the tour, luring you in. She's the one doing lead generation. And I know in interviews she's mentioned lead generation. That's exactly the word used in this indictment. What I want to know is when they were filming this, because the underlying indictment was unsealed in November 2019. And there was a raid of one of these locations that she's alleged to be involved with in January, 2019. So I, I'm so curious if this was going on in the background either while she was filming or just after she was filming and, and what that must've been like knowing that then this show is going to air Because I know it was announced in November, so I'm guessing that they probably filmed before, but I'm not 100% clear on that. But knowing that this indictment and this um, raid went down, because she would have absolutely known that, and then knowing this show is going to air, I wonder how much stress and anxiety that caused her, knowing the way she behaved on the show, because she's not going to be able to go to court and say, I didn't know, oh, poor me, I was tricked What the prosecutors are going to push play on is her acting lavishly, wildly bragging about being this amazing businesswoman, like so good that nobody else can understand it. And that's all going to come back to bite her.
2: It's crazy to me that she knew that this indictment happened for the others and then proceeded to even try and show that she spent more money than I think she actually spent you know, she, she says that she rented the Shaw LA because her actual home, they didn't allow filming in that community, which has mm-hmm. happened before. But then why choose a $4 million home? It, and then in um, different articles, I mean, she's claimed to have spent 50000 a month. And that's a...
0: Well, she's a, trying to outdo Erica yeah. Girardi's glam squad. Yep. <laughs> Assistants one through eight. So, okay. Mm.
2: I want you to help me understand the scheme and then go down through the charges themselves, because people like me who haven't been to law school, you know, we think we maybe understand stuff, but don't really. And I'm hoping you can break it down because you're so good at it. So (laughs) my understanding of the scheme is that they, quote unquote, aggressively targeted The elderly and other vulnerable victims by convincing them to invest their money in businesses, including businesses like tax preparation and website design. Now, what's interesting is that many of the victims did not own a computer. So it sounds like they were targeting people on
0: landlines.
2: And well, it is alleged that they're Mm -hmm.
0: telemarketing for sure. They also allege pamphlets and coaching sessions. So the indictment is saying that in these coaching sessions, somebody might go to them um, or call them and talk them through how to do it. From what I've read in the indictment, plus what I've read through the Better Business Bureau complaints, it seems that Jen Shaw was targeting individuals as alleged in the indictment to sell them almost a turnkey online business sell them like, hey, this is how you, you know, do this business, start this business, have a website, and then would upsell them into more coaching, upsell them into tax preparation for the business they're starting, upsell them into, hey, we'll help you with your LLC, upsell them into, hey, we'll, you know, SEO perfect your website and say, get them in on the, hey, we've got your business. Oh, but to get to the next level, to really do it, you need this. Oh, but to really, to really get everything, you need this. You need, the tax prep, the business coaching, and it just kept escalating in what they were being sold and that people were aggressively being sold. And then the underlying or the first indictment also says that once people would kind of max out the business opportunity scheme is what the uh, U.S. attorneys called it, then they would shift them into this debt consolidation scheme saying, oh, you've maxed out your credit cards. And what I know, I did financial crimes at the DA's office. I've I've worked with cr- victims of financial crimes. There is a high level of shame and embarrassment for most individuals that have been taken advantage of like this. Anybody can have this happen to them. I have seen lawyers have this happen to them. Doctors have this happen to them because it sounds like a good idea. They think it's going to be great. And then they realize that there's some red flags, but they're already in it and they don't know how to get out of it. And then it just keeps going down. And that's really the social engineering that people who defraud others engage in. They they are charming, and then they are aggressive, and then they leverage that shame and embarrassment to try to help you work your way back out of it. So the debt consolidation scheme then would encourage people to borrow money from friends. One gentleman on Better Business Bureau said he was told to take money out of his 401k because, hey, this business is going to turn around so much money. You should just take money out of your 401k and we'll help you through this. Borrow money, get another credit card. You've got good credit, it's worth it. It takes money to make money. And I felt literally sick to my stomach reading story after story after story. And I, I shared them on Twitter of individuals saying, I got into this hole, I didn't know how to get out. And then they just kept getting pressured. So they kept digging. And the indictment alleges that there was also an aggressive scheme to not refund people when they came in and said, I'm not getting what I paid for. This isn't what I agreed to. And then people just aggressively not refunding them. The businesses that have been uncovered uh, through the the Twitter sleuthing all have Fs on Better Business Bureau, but most people aren't going to go Google the name or the underlying company name of these companies to see what's being said about them. It is really um, it is really done the way that these fraud schemes are done. They get somebody on the hook, they get them in and they keep selling them and selling them and selling them and leveraging shame. One of the Better Business Bureau individuals said that they were told, we're going to get this website up and running. We're going to help you do this business and you're going to be making $80,000 a month. So don't you worry about it. Look, if anybody comes to you and says, we're just going to help you make a cool $80,000 a month, other direct- go the other way." go the other way, go the other way. (laughs) Oh man! So that's the scheme of it. It seems that Jen Shaw was, and Stuart Smith were bringing in the people and turning them over to those who were pressuring them on the phone. And the indictment really says that they were very highly engaged in picking which of the sales floors, because there are multiple of these kind of telemarketing sales floors alleged, which sales floor, which leads were going to, what particular products they were being sold. So almost from the sound of it, profiling the particular victim saying, this one's going to be, sell them on this type of a thing, sell this other person on this type of a thing and really profiling them and targeting them, which I mean, is... Fraudulent, but if you were doing a legitimate scheme, that would be profiling a consumer at market. So I can see where Jen Shaw is believing her own bullshit, saying I'm marketing. Yeah, but what your marketing is not a real product, <laughs> right. which is why you're putting the money, as alleged, which is why you're putting the money in offshore accounts. Wow. So wow, how would they get the leads?
2: Like, how would they know? Oh, this is Susan Smith in Utah, who is 68 years old, and is, you know, trying to find something to supplement her social security and her retirement.
0: From what I can put together on the two different indictments, it looks like they were using a lot of different front facing websites. And again, in the 2019 indictment, they call it the money sucking website, you can gain quite a lot of information about individuals when they land on a website. Now, normally, There is an opt in period, there are legalities about how you use that information. But if you're already running a fraud ring, my assumption is people just don't care about that and are using people landing on these web pages, how they were targeting people through pamphlets, it does not say in the indictment, and I do not know.
2: Interesting. So it could be a, any kind of a website, right? Was it people yep. searching like how to make
0: additional money or, or how things? to make money online, mm-hmm. how to have a side hustle? How did it could be? And wasn't Jen Shaw promoting that she was going to be helping women get online during the pandemic and she had this new thing she was launching? Um, there was something about that a number of months back on social media because as I started. Going down the rabbit hole on all of this, I started seeing what she was doing after the show aired. And I was like, oh, oh, was that part of this? Because it feels like it was. The indictment alleges that the wire fraud scheme, the telemarketing of it all, was happening from 2012 up until March 2021, which is they. So even after that 2019 indictment, this kept rolling according to the AUSAs. So I'm hoping you can help walk us through the two
2: charges that Jen and Stuart got. One is conspiracy to commit wire fraud – which comes with the maximum of 30 years in prison, and the other is conspiracy to commit money laundering, which is the maximum of 20 years in prison. And these came from a grand jury. So that means that there was a grand jury in New York that was presented information on this case, and they landed on these two
0: charges. Is that correct? Yes that 's correct now, sometimes the prosecutor will recommend charges that fit sometimes they will not we 're not going to know how that went down here. Wire fraud is an interesting um, kind of a umbrella charge because a lot of things fit under wire fraud it 's really using the wires, the telephone, the internet to commit a fraud. So the telemarketing scheme is the fraud, and they've used the phones to do it. That's how they're contacting people. It's why in the college admission scandal, and I reference back to that case a lot when talking about this one, because it was a federal case, they used mail fraud because money was being sent through the mail to kind of pull under that scheme. And you also saw celebrities going through a federal prosecution and eventually uh, into custody in some cases. So I I compare and contrast the two a lot, but the wire fraud really is that use of the telephone lines to perpetrate a fraud and that's it's really as simple as that. So how, how many longer.
2: other cases like is this a common case kind of a thing there's because the internet is so widespread and so unregulated right but there have to be a lot of these kind of websites and schemes and things like that so is this something that you know is
0: is a big issue I mean, why are, why are frauds an easy fit for a prosecutor? Because it can encompass so much. And it's pretty easy to find the evidence that like, yo, you use the phone. Like we have records how the phones were used. And now you've got these big telemarketing floors that are being used to do this. And they're not alleging everyone picking up a phone and calling knew that there was no services being provided at the end of it. They just knew they were selling because you can hire people to get on the phone and sell stuff. They don't necessarily know that that's being... Being delivered or not delivered so the um the use of the phone is pretty broad and and wide encompassing and this is a, an easy charge to fit this kind of behavior under this particular case is being prosecuted by the money laundering and transactional crimes unit at the you know south district of new york so that is a group of prosecutors that are going to be working in just these types of cases. And I imagine for them that money, the wire fraud is one of their go-to charges, just like the money laundering is going to come into that almost anytime you have that charge. Cause once you get to the fact that you're defrauding in this way, you're also going to be trying to hide the money and the source of the money. And that's where we get into the wire fraud or not the wire fraud, the, the money laundering.
2: So, Money laundering is just hiding money, correct? Or is there a better way to to explain it?
0: They're just slightly it's trying to conceal the origin of the money so when they say laundering it really is like trying to wash the money and make it clean so it came from a fraud scheme but you're trying to run it through something to make it look legitimate or to otherwise conceal the source of it so you can't tell that the money came from the fraud scheme and this is where you get the offshore bank accounts as alleged here they're also alleging that uh, Jen and Stuart both withdrew money in increments that would not trigger the reporting yeah, needs. That. So they're trying to trying to hide the way that the transactions are going down. So they alleged money laundering in a few different ways: concealing the source, using the money to buy other things, because you can take you know the dirty crime money and then put it into an investment property and then Mm -hmm. sell the investment property. And then the money from the investment property just traces back to the property, but you can't always easily trace back where the money that came into the property came from. So there are lots of ways people will try to money launder. I had a guy that was money laundering through a pretty complex scheme on PayPal. And so moving money through different PayPal accounts to try to, to launder the source of it. And it was fascinating. The lengths people will go to, to conceal the original origins of the money. So that's where the and the conspiracy on these being working with others. And as simple as that. Wow.
2: I mean this is just so fascinating. So at the end of the indictment, which is only I think like 10 pages or less, they have forfeiture allegations. And so the only property listed appears to be Stewart's home, which is in is it Lehigh,
0: Utah? Lehigh, I said it live. I said it wrong live and I my comments section let me know because the law nerds love me and don't want me to pronounce things wrong. I warn them every broadcast. I'm like, your girl's ADHD and dyslexic. Things will be pronounced wrong. I apologize. But I think I said Leahy at least a couple of times. They're like, it's Lehigh. And I'm like, okay, fine. It's Lehigh. So yes, Lehigh, Utah is where that property is listed. I think that's sorts as well because it's listed that that's where he's from.
2: Yes, and I did a quick Redfin search, and it's a 3,200-square-foot home worth (laughs) $533,000. There you go. Is there a reason why Jen Shaw's property that she owns potentially may not be listed? Maybe it's in her husband's name, or maybe it's in both their names, or
0: maybe the fraudulent activities weren't taking place there? So... The asset forfeiture was interesting to me, too, because it only, it listed the home, but it, it does list other miscellaneous, you know, real or personal property, which could be things that are traced back to coming from the fraud scheme money. But this is why you see people generally purchasing things in cash and withdrawing these cash amounts that are alleged, because it's much harder to track what you purchase in cash, obviously. So there could be a lot of reasons. If they could track that money from these schemes went into a property, they would have listed it. In the underlying indictment, they list uh, numerous bank accounts and they list numerous properties. So I'm presuming, based on what we've seen, that they don't have a clean connection between the money from the scheme into a property from Jen Shaw, which might be that the properties are mortgaged and that the down payment could reasonably come from her husband's salary and they just couldn't track it back.
2: Oh, that's so interesting. So This is probably a silly question, but as someone who only has one bank account, right? (laughs) How to get an offshore bank account, do you have to go, let's say, travel to the Cayman Islands, go to a bank there, show up, provide forms of identification and open an account? Or is it something you can do from the U.S.? And then my second follow-up to question is that Why are there such lax laws in some of these countries? Is it to draw in money and make money off the interest?
0: It can be. So the drawing in is very interesting. The the countries that benefit from this tend to have protective laws in other areas too. So uh, there was a case I worked on when I was working for a judge. I worked for two judges out of law school that involved employment law on a cruise ship but the cruise ship was flagged in the Bahamas on the back of the ship. So the law in the Bahamas applies Well, the law in the Bahamas is not super friendly to the employees and very, very friendly to the businesses, which is why so many cruise ships are flagged there. So the intent behind allowing for less, you know, aggressive banking laws could be so the countries can benefit could be for the influx of cash could be because their country doesn't, as most of these are smaller countries, doesn't have a need for such strong banking laws because people aren't really committing crimes that are negatively impacting the country using those bank accounts. How somebody gets an offshore bank account, I really truly don't know. I would imagine there's someone that brokers it and helps it uh, get set up or some ones that do that. The amount of people that you can find in the gray corners of the internet to help you do things is not difficult to go looking around. The thing I will say is if you're not well versed in it, you will be defrauded and taken advantage of very quickly if you are a noob. I'd never suggest that. But people manage to find the things they need. And with the nine defendants, I'm sure they had the way that they were getting this done and they knew who they were contacting. They might have had someone Bribery can often play a role in things getting done, not saying that that happened here, just saying in general. So would she have had to travel to, um, you know, wherever the offshore accounts are possibly? And could that have been done any time from 2012 to 2019? Absolutely. Because with regard to the money laundering, it's alleged that that stopped in 2019. So, Yeah, I saw that in November, which is actually
2: coincides with BravoCon when The Real Housewives of Salt Lake was announced.
0: It also coincides with the other indictment Mm -hmm. when the others were arrested. So if part of the money laundering scheme was her getting money from the others um, that are charged here, then we know she knew in 2019 in November, because they're saying that the money laundering part of this stopped. So there's your knowledge in 2019. That is
2: pretty damning. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is just all so
0: shocking. Isn't it, though? I'm I'm like, we've seen Real Housewives crime. Like, we saw what went down with the Judices, Judici's, however you want to say it, however they say it, given the season. But that was, from my perspective, Teresa just doing whatever her husband said. She was like, yeah, I'll sign it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't ask questions. I just – I listen to my husband. I trust him to do man things and to handle finances, and I don't ask questions, and I don't look. And I really do actually believe that that is what happened with her. I don't think she she has mis, uh, misled any of us. I think she just signed it without asking questions. Unfortunately, that's enough for the types of um, crimes that she was charged with. And then with Erica Jane, we're seeing again the husband is really the one who's in trouble. What she knew or didn't know is still unclear. How much she's going to get dragged into this is still unclear. I think it will be more by the time the season airs. But this is the first time we're really seeing a housewife involved in some shit. Yeah, we've seen business partner disputes with housewives and stuff. But nothing like this. Nothing like this with federal prison for their own actions and with the spouse not charged.
2: That's so yeah, you're right. And and to be the mastermind behind the scheme, right? Because with Erica, you know, she hasn't been charged with anything. And it's alleged that it was her husband, you know, whether or not she's implicated is another thing. You know, with Teresa, she was eventually charged. But again, you're right, the husband. So it's going to be very interesting to me personally to see how involved, you know, Coach Shaw was, whether he knew this was happening, whether he turned a blind eye, you know, all of those things, because he
0: is an attorney himself. So I didn't know that. And mm-hmm. I I have quickly learned that since this all went down, but I did not know that. I was fascinated with that information. You know, as someone who's an attorney, do you think he
2: would know the questions to ask to figure out whether or not a business was illegal or not?
0: The, I don't know. And I, again, I don't know what kind of law he practiced. I don't know how invested he was in what his wife was up to. What I watched this season was a couple that was very disconnected from each other and living separate lives. And there was a time when he was talking about like, I don't know her anymore. Like, I don't know her like this. This is not how she was when we first met. He might've thought she was running a vanity business going, Oh yeah, honey, you go ahead and you do that. And you do this. It's going to really depend on how much he had questions about the money that was being spent or suspicions. I think though, if there was enough evidence For the U.S. Attorney's Office to say he knew and he was involved, they would have charged him on this same indictment. There's no reason to not. And in the press release, one of the officers from NYPD who spoke about it said that this was the end. And using that word, the end, really indicated to me that she was kind of the last piece of the puzzle. I have speculation about that, too. But when they say the end, it leads me to believe that they're not anticipating additional indictments or additional arrests in this case, that the case is kind of closed for them. And so what's suspicious to me in all of this is there were two defendants that I saw that recently pled guilty in this um, earlier in twenty. 20- 21. And I'm wondering how much information those defendants who pled provided as a part of their plea deal. And were those the two people that kind of looped her into this, or at least closed the connection. Cause if they had a strong connection to her, they would have just charged her in 2019. I imagine that when they were putting together these indictments and the original grand jury that they didn't know she was going to be on a real Housewives show or what would happen on that show. The indictment, it looks like was unsealed the same month the show was announced, meaning it was pre-filmed. So I wonder how much those who pled helped tie this together. Cause it feels Like the timing matches for me.
2: Mm -hmm. So there were two that pled guilty and they could have offered up more information that allowed the Southern district of New York to get this in front of a grand jury and get the indictment within a short
0: period of time. Absolutely. Especially if they already had an inkling that she was involved. Look, when it comes to particularly the Southern district of New York, but when it comes to us attorneys, 10 state's attorneys, and I was a state level attorney for the county of Los Angeles, kind of joke about the feds and how they will not take a case that they feel strongly about, but is questionable. If there's a chance they may lose, they will generally send it down to state level prosecution. Mm-hmm. They take the strongest cases they can make, they use their resources, and they run them down. They tend to take larger cases or cases that are of particular interest to their goals. So, So if they are really working on, you know, gun crime in their area, then you're going to see them taking large gun busts. If they're working on financial crimes, you're going to see stuff like this. And so they are not bringing this. And that's not to say she's not presumed innocent until proven guilty. She is. But they're not bringing this without a vast amount of investigation and evidence and a pretty little bow on top. Because if it didn't look like that, they're not bringing it. So even if Coach Shaw knew... Even if they knew he knew, if they don't believe they can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt to any jury that walked in off the street, they're not going to indict him on it.
2: That makes sense. Yeah. Now, I have a question about the Southern District of New York and just press releases from the feds in general. Do they tend to be really shady or is this sort of like <laughs> unique to Gen Because here are a couple quotes. We've got HSI special agent in charge. Peter C. Fitzhugh, and he said, Shaw and Smith flaunted their lavish lifestyle to the public as a symbol of their success, which is in quotes. Mm-hmm. I read that as shade. And then... Oh, it's oh, it's shade. You read it correctly. <laughs> and they say, in reality, they allegedly built their opulent lifestyle at the expense of vulnerable, often elderly, working class people. As a result, their new reality may very well turn
0: out differently than they expected. It's one of my favorite quotes and it is shady as hell and I freaking love it. <laughs> That's the amazing is that it's shady.
2: Normal? That's intended like, shade. I've never read something like that in a press release
0: from a justice department website, you know. They're not as shady as the FTC. The FTC <laughs> has the shadiest <laughs> press releases I have ever seen and I live for them. But there's no the, the veiled shade is not inappropriate in the context. What right. you're not going to see is a lot of sass in the filing documents. Now, in a civil case, Nike versus Satan shoes and others, you will see lawyer sass within the filing documents, especially if they are internet savvy lawyers that know that people like me and, and and you and others are going to be talking about these documents. There will sometimes be these little nugget moments buried within the lawsuits that as I'm reading them will actually make me laugh out loud. In the Nike one, it was, they were talking about a drop of blood being in these Satan shoes and it said blood, literal blood. And I laughed <laughs> out loud. I was like, well, thanks for, thanks for clarifying that Nike, but it's not uncommon in some of these press releases to have a little bit of wit and I live for it. But of all the agencies that's regularly shady, the FTC takes the cake for me. They throw people right under the bus in their press releases and I love it. I cover their (laughs) stuff a lot because their press releases are so fun. So well done, FTC. You're a regulatory agency, but you're shady as hell and we love you. So yeah, it was great. I read that and I did. I laughed out loud. If the FTC was a housewife, which housewife would it be? Ooh, if the FTC was a housewife, which housewife would it be? I mean, that's that's like asking who's the shadiest of the shady housewives. I mean, maybe Ramona. Yeah. Or if it was With the franchise. Singers, stingers. If it was a franchise, oh. what would it be? I mean, it would be New York. New York throws it around pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Though I will say, did you get that confidence in jail has become a top <laughs> housewife moment for me. <laughs> I liked so it as well. So they definitely have their one-liners. And they, the ladies are so aware of it now um, because they've, they've watched the public watch them. So now I feel like they're aware of these moments when they're happening more so than they used to be. But New York definitely throws throws it around. Um, That's what comes to mind. And they throw
2: it to hurt versus like, Mm -hmm. I feel like the fun shade in Atlanta. Yes, it's shady, but it's it's not meant to sting. It's banter. It's banter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then finally, can you walk us through sort of what comes next? Right. So she's going to enter a plea, presumably not guilty, And then how long does this process take? What are the various steps to kind of before, I mean, will they potentially reach a plea deal? You know, jail time, will it get to trial?
0: There's a lot that can happen. So there's a lot that can happen. (laughs) But you're going to see first the arraignment. I imagine, as you did, that she'll enter a not guilty plea. There might be additional conditions of release. We already have some conditions of release. I've seen some people saying that, oh, the prosecutors aren't asking for jail time. The prosecutors in this case, as a condition of release, said they were not asking for her to be detained pending trial. So that doesn't mean they're not going to ask for her to be detained later, but that's not a given COVID that's not surprising to me B, if they don't believe she's a flight risk she's not a potential danger to the public they can tell her to stay off the internet they can tell her to not engage in telemarketing activities I'm sure they have those things tapped so they'll know if she does it um and she can go into custody if she violates any of the terms of her release immediately and the feds aren't going to play with that so we might see additional terms of her release turning over her passport and things like that um also, with somebody who's high profile, it's it's not as if she can go to the airport and get on a plane without people knowing that it's happening. It's going to be on social media. So it's like the public now also has eyes on it, too. So we will see arraignment, potentially more conditions of release. Then the defense attorneys for both Shaw and Smith will get all of the discovery that is appropriate to turn over. So, what the investigations turned up, what bank records they have, all of it. There can be then motions in court and, and legal proceedings. I imagine what will happen in my mind is that Smith's attorney will immediately call the AUSAs and be like, he just worked for her. What would you like to know? Let us, <laughs> right. let us out. He's let us slip. out. Oh, uh, he's going to pull the escape hatch so freaking quick, and if I was his attorney, I would have been telling him this the second this came down, is you need to tell me everything you know, and we are going to leverage the shit out of that so you do not go to prison. And you are going to throw her under the bus, you're going to get into the bus, you're going to drive the bus, and you are going to back it up. That is what you are going to do. Whether he will choose to do that or not depends on him. But if I was his attorney, that would be my, uh, my kind of game plan with it. I wonder if the prosecution anticipates that happening as well. Sometimes when you see cases like that, you can anticipate who's going to say what based on what you've seen behind the scenes. So we'll see. If I was Jen Shaw's attorney, I would want to look at everything that they had. I'd want to sit down with Jen Shaw and be like, what do they not have? Here's what they have. What else could they find? What else could somebody else tell them? And what information do you have to leverage? And how much money can you put together for restitution? And I'd also be trying to make a deal. Her reputation will stand better if she takes early responsibility and says something to the effect of, I wasn't savvy enough. She's not going to do this. I find that she probably has an ego larger than this. But I believe that this was a legitimate business deal. I have now realized that that was not the case. I see the evidence against me. I feel horrible that these people were defrauded. I didn't know that's what the others were doing. I am cooperating with the prosecution and I am going to do the time that I'm going to do and pay back the restitution and then not go to trial. We will see. Or she'll go Lori Laughlin and being like, isn't this what rich people do? Like, I don't, <laughs> This is what rich people do. Why are you picking on me? Poor me. Rich think, people do this. They think fake that their daughter's on the crew do. team. <laughs> mm-hmm. Isn't this just what people do? Why are you picking on me? I didn't do anything. This is a legitimate business. Those people got coaching. They got websites. It's not our fault they didn't make any money. So if she fights, it could go to trial. And if it goes to trial, I will let you know right now, my ass is going to be in New York sitting in a courtroom every damn day and then streaming at every court break from my phone. I'm going to make myself the legal correspondent for this case if it goes to trial. I'm
2: just I mean, you do an incredible job. You already know so much and have been (laughs) providing so much content. Thank you so much, Emily, for
0: helping walk us through this. I think that the laws that kind of govern our lives and what we do should be more accessible and should be understandable because there might be people going, wait, how is what she's doing wrong? Like... You're allowed to get people's information, you're allowed to get leads, you're allowed to sell business opportunities. Where is this line between it being a legitimate business and a fraud ring? Where, what makes it illegal? What makes it legal? Where are the boundaries of this? And that's why I cover the pop culture stuff because I find that people are more curious and engaged in learning, like, wait what do you mean you can't modify sneakers with blood this way? When can you modify something you buy and resell it? When can't you? Because the laws that govern in the U.S. are very, very complex. Mm -hmm. And I do think people like Teresa Giudice can run afoul of those laws without exactly meaning to. And I think there's perceptions of, isn't this just what rich people do? Isn't this how this works? That aren't how that works. So I love breaking it down. I feel like this is the best use of my legal education is to help all of us understand the law and I can now justify in my soul the amount of hours I have dedicated to watching bravo television. <laughs> <laughs> I love- i feel like deeply deeply vindicated i feel like i've been training for this my entire life and i am ready like when my husband's like we don't need hulu i'm like we need hulu because it has housewives i wouldn't get rid of cable until i found another way to watch housewives he's like literally you're you're keeping cable for one show and i'm like it's not one show it's a franchise.
2: <laughs> it's multiple franchises. Multiple
0: franchises. <laughs> and it's not just the one show, because there are spinoffs. I watched Bethany Gets Married. <laughs> Bethany Ever After, right? Bethany Ever After, that's what it was. That's right. Yep. Watched it.
2: Love it. Well, Emily, thank you so much for your service, honestly, and for helping all of us understand these kind of complex legal terms and this understanding this scheme and such easy to understand um, language, where can everyone follow you, watch your YouTube, listen to your
0: podcast? Where can people find you? Absolutely. I've tried to make it easy. I'm at the Emily D Baker everywhere. Because again, there's only one of me once you've once you've met me and we've met now we're friends like I've been in your ears for way too long talking about this. You're like, Oh, we're friends now. I'm the Emily D Baker and that's YouTube. The podcast is the Emily show on any podcast player you want. I am trying to disrupt my category. I'm in news um, commentary (laughs) and I do mostly pop culture commentary. And I'm like, this is news to those of us that know this is our news. This is what we want to know about. And that's, that's where I'm at. I'm on uh, Twitter for kind of the late breaking stuff. Instagram for stories and and fresh takes. And then YouTube, I'm live on Tuesdays and Fridays every week, breaking down whatever is popping off that particular week.
2: I love it. Everyone go check out Emily D. Baker. Thank you so much. We're going to have to have you back as this continues to unfold. Hi, everyone. I am here with the hilarious Jacques Peterson, who's the host of the podcast Unpopular with Jacques Peterson and an entertainment journalist. He's got lots of opinions and we're here to break
1: down this week in Bravo. How are you doing? Hey, Mandy, thanks for having me. I just want to say you were the first person when I started my podcast to ask me to come on and ask me to do something. And I haven't forgotten that. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for coming on. I just think you have really unique takes. And here on this podcast, I listen to everyone and everyone's views. And it's okay if you're a tree hugger and I'm a Jackie Stan or whatever it is. Like, let's hash it out together.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, for the record, I'm not a tree hugger. I cannot stand Teresa, but I totally get the sentiment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. So I have to ask, this week has been absolutely nuts with all the Jen Shaw news. And I want to know, how is it hitting down under?
1: Um. Look, I don't think people care about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City here. I mean, the the show was not that big anyway it was not that big in the ratings it seems like everyone in the world cares about the salt lake city housewives if you go on like instagram or twitter because of all the housewives fan accounts Uh, i don't think that many people care i think more people are going to care once like season two comes and we see more and more of this in the media because it's such a juicy story that it's going to have like crossover appeal where it's gonna like it's gonna get airtime in places it doesn't usually cover housewives because it's like that explosive
2: Uh, well i heard on clubhouse there was a woman from germany and she's like it made the news in germany
1: oh wow which was shocking
2: right oh man it's just absolutely crazy so i know you haven't liked jen shaw from the beginning so <laughs> I thought <laughs> yeah. there was something off with her, particularly around her anger, that really bothered me. It it seemed more excessive and extreme than other housewives that we've seen be really angry. And it scared me, right? A little, like, it, I was scared and I was afraid for the other women on the show.
1: <laughs> she's terrifying. She's She's like a ghoul from a horror film.
2: She really is. It's just so wild that she had the audacity, or chutzpah, as I would call it, um, to go on a show while she's committing these crimes.
1: Well, isn't that like a classic narcissist that she would put herself in that in that spot in that danger because i was listening to i can't remember which podcast now because so many of them are like doing jen Shah breakdowns and we're like getting into it which is great because there's so many details to this case but in i think it was like 2019 people started getting indicted or something connected to the case so she obviously knew by the time she was going to go on the show and she still chose to go on there because she wants the spotlight i mean even if you take this case out of the equation, she was like the thirstiest housewife I've ever seen with her, like, antics on the show. Wasn't she, like, rollerblading around one day? Like, she was always trying to think of a bit to do on camera for attention. So it kind of doesn't surprise me, but it, I feel like it fits the psychological profile of... Of, like, the crimes that she's committed, you know what (laughs) I I mean?
2: it's so awful. (laughs) Oh my goodness, you're right, she was, like, trying too hard to be campy, rather than the other women are just campy, you know?
1: Yeah, well, Mary is, like, so unaware, and Mary's just Mary, and that's why, you know, Mary's amazing on the show, whereas Jen Sharp was just trying so hard. It was like she had watched every single Housewives, and then was like, okay, I'm gonna, this is what I think that I need to do, uh, to be a housewife and to get memes and GIFs and everything.
2: What I think is really creepy is the amount of stuff she was doing and DMing with fans and really trying to almost buy their support by sending them merch and sharing information that they thought that she was only sharing with them, but she would share with many other fans. And I think that's kind of like creepy, you know,
1: it's It's creepy, but it's also smart because she actually did build up this ridiculous, like, stan army on social media when the show started, and everyone... Because, like, if after you've watched the season, like, Heather Gay was really kind of, like, the star of the show. She was sort of, like, the fan favourite and the one that everybody loved. But because Jen Shah did all this, like pre-show you know conniving and messaging with all these fans she messaged with me like she would t- message anyone that like slid in her dms and talk to them and chat with them and stuff she gave it gave off the illusion that it was going to be like the jen shah show because as soon as like the show premiered there's all this like shah squad and all these you know stands with jen shah and there yes yeah, they like avatar and stuff so yeah that was just that was a choice wasn't it
2: <laughs> yeah dylan hafer said She loves to pay a gay. (laughs) That's what he was saying on Clubhouse.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Well, I had reached out to her at first, and you know what? The second that I saw her and saw some of her social media posts before the show even premiered, I was like, I'm going to hate her. I can tell she's so fucking thirsty. But then I was like, you know what? Like, This was right before my podcast came out, and I was like, she looks like she chats to everyone. She looks like she's going to be a big player on the show. I'm like, look, for strategic reasons, let me just chat her up and maybe I can get her on my podcast for an interview or something because at that point I was, you know, I was trying to, like, come up with ideas for my show before it came out. So I slid in her DMs and I'm like, oh, I'd love to interview her and everything. And then, you know, I did have some, like, back and forth with her. But then... Once like the show came on and I was like, okay, she's as bad as I thought she was. Okay, she's actually worse than I thought she would be. Like, <laughs> I just stopped messaging with her because I'm like, I don't even, I wouldn't even want her on my show. If she wanted to come on.
2: Yeah. Oh man. Oh, the other thing I wanted to ask is about Jacks and the lien on his house and the fact that he may owe 1.2 million. <laughs> it's so crazy. Aww. I mean. File under least shocking stories. I think this is way less shocking than Jen Shah running a, like, cross-national telemarketing <laughs> fraud scheme, right?
1: Yeah, I know. He, um, he said on Instagram Live or something, I saw the clip last night, that he had, like, a bad bookkeeper. I don't know. I don't understand how this tax system in the U.S. works because – Every week, it's like this new person is in trouble for like not paying their taxes or something. That never happens in Australia, and I don't really – I don't understand how your system is that everyone's always like owing all this money and getting in trouble.
2: So here it is, um, and this is my interpretation of it as someone who is nowhere near a tax expert. If you have like a regular job and you're employed by a company, you get a certain form at the end of the year, and they take out taxes usually throughout the year. right, And then you file and you see if the government, if they took out enough and you have to pay more, or if they took out too much and you get money back. And so most people do it through that way. But if you're not paid through like an annual salary type thing where you get paid every two weeks and all of that, if you're paid on a contract, it's a different kind of tax form, and the taxes aren't taken out in advance, right? So you get paid, but it's expected that you'll pay taxes on that money later. So I've never had a situation where I have to pay taxes later on, right? And so I'm wondering yeah. if how some of these reality show people are paid on contract isn't it's not like they get that W2 at the end of the year it's they're getting like a 1099, where the money wasn't taken out in advance.
1: It just sounds like it's way too eat. Like that's already confusing me. My brain's turning to mush (laughs) hearing you talk about like tax forms (laughs) and stuff. I'm not surprised that people are having trouble with it. There has to be an easier way. Maybe they need, do they teach how to do your taxes in school? Maybe they need to be teaching that like every year you're in school to drill it into people so people know what they're doing when they get out in the workforce.
2: It's such a mess, honestly, Jack. Like like everything in our country, right? Our healthcare (laughs) system is a total mess. It's impossible to teach it. And our tax system, is a complete mess. And there's a ton of people who make a lot of money off of our system being a mess, right? We've got accountants. Mm, yeah. We've got tons of companies that like you pay to file your taxes. And if you don't go with like a well-renowned like H&R Block, if you go to some bookkeeper or whatever, and and if you don't give them all the documents, <laughs> you know, then... Yeah. Well, I don't know, I
1: just I feel bad for Jax. I root for Jax and Britney. I mean, I know they're like public enemy number 1. I don't have an issue with them. Like I think they're I'm glad that he found Britney. I'm glad that they're having a baby. I hope that, you know, the baby calms Jax down and, you know, I I felt bad seeing that they had that that they had the tax issue because I just kind of want them to have like Uh, happy ever after and prove all the haters wrong and everyone's like loving that they're owing the tax and stuff it's like come on they're about to have a baby you know they're not on this show anymore like give them a break
2: (laughs) well that goes well into our next segment which is unpopular opinions on bravo (laughs) by the way i actually kind of feel bad too i really a lot apparently multiple people from Vanderpump Rules have liens on their homes or have tax liens out against them. And, you know, I think making a lot of money at a young age and not really understanding the system and money's coming in from different contracts, it's really confusing. And I think it's hard to keep it all together, especially if you don't have a family history of having a lot of money and having an accountant that works with your family or things like that. So... They're learning the hard way.
1: Why do do people hate Britney now? Because Britney was really popular on the show and then it's like as soon as her and Jax got off the show, it's like Britney turned into public enemy number one or something. I just see people saying the meanest things about her and, you know, about her pregnancy and stuff. I'm like, she's a nice girl. Give her her a break. Like, okay, I get why people hate Jax, even though I enjoy Jax. I think he's brilliant television. But, like, I mean, Britney hasn't done anything wrong. (laughs)
2: I don't know. I think people are so awful about the mom shaming and the pregnancy body shaming. Mm -hmm. And they love to compare Lala and Brittany and Sheena and Stassi's pregnancies. And they're all different. And and I don't know why people do it. I don't know. Have you noticed people getting like meaner and meaner and meaner as this pandemic has gone on?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely in the Housewives community with the with all the accounts and stuff. I hate Housewives social media accounts, even though I kind of am one and I'm friends <laughs> with a thousand <laughs> of them. But they're so annoying and it, it it does get really toxic. Like, you and I, I mean, I won't go off on a tangent, but we were talking about some of the trolling towards, like, one of the Housewives the other day that we thought was sort of unfair and it just, it, it it's going to a level at some points where it's like, it's just too much.
2: Yeah, I think there has to be a difference between wanting accountability from someone and trolling and DMing and making awful comments below people's photos. That is just, mm. it means there's something wrong with ourselves as a as society yep. that we do that.
1: I mean, it's a you have to remember, it's a television show. It's highly edited. Things are taken out of context. People are put into situations that they normally wouldn't be in uh sometimes they're doing things just for to keep a storyline i mean there's so many different factors i know heaps of reality stars here in australia and the way that kind of you know the editing and stuff can work and things can can play out on screen and stuff it's just so different so i mean look we all get involved in the like hating on certain people i certainly do it as well i'm not saying that like you know i don't ever do it but it's kind of like we do need to sometimes remember like these real people. We're not exactly seeing reality. We're seeing an edited show with all these other factors involved. You know, it's not so like black and white of like this person's evil or this person's, you know, amazing. Let's stand them. Like, <laughs> there's right.
2: layers. I mean, that's what I love about housewives is that we can watch the same show and have completely different opinions on a fight that transpired or whose side we're on with things. And these people are human. And so we get to see the good, the bad, the ugly and that's what I like. These are
1: complex yeah. characters. I know. I mean they were. I feel like now most of them are coming in and it's like they've all watched the show and it's getting a bit I'm I've been trying to shift my brain. I've said this a few times on my show. I'm trying to think of the housewives at this point of like what like days of our lives and young and the restless, all the daytime soaps were when I was growing up. Cause they feel so produced now. And I feel like a lot of the times, like it doesn't really feel like I'm watching a reality show. Like I was watching some old housewives of New York clips on Twitter and it's just so different to what the show is now. So I, I I'm trying to think of them now as like, these are our scripted soaps that the daytime soaps were when I was a kid that like my mom would watch.:
2: <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely produced differently and everyone's entering the space with a heightened awareness about how yeah. they're going to be perceived on camera. For sure. That's the
1: main. That's the main issue. I think more than how produced it is. It's just the. It's the self-producing of everyone because everyone is so aware now. Because now they've all grown up watching it. Like they've all seen seasons and seasons of reality television. It doesn't just have to be housewives. We've all grown up now with reality television, and we have more of an understanding of how things are perceived and you know what to say and what to do. Like even when I've met reality stars before, and they're people that you would think would be. Like, just total dummies. Like, you would think that this person probably can't even tie their own shoelace together. And you talk to them and you realize, oh, they know exactly what they're doing on this show and how things are going to be portrayed and like what to say and stuff. So, it's, I mean, that's kind of one of the, uh I I don't know one of the kind of like negatives about reality tv now is it is just like so it's just we're all too self-aware and as viewers we're so aware too so we watch the show like I do this constantly and I wish I could get it out of my head but I can't I'm watching the show and I'm like that's fake that's fake like I can't not like start nitpicking and seeing like what's produced and you know oh she doesn't really mean that she's just saying that for the show like I'm doing that all (laughs) through the episodes and I wish that I could I wish I could take a step back and just like enjoy the storyline, but it's like two in my head now of like the, the movements that people are making for the storyline.
2: Yeah. Or when you see, you know, like Marge on New Jersey was talking about her book with the, uh, one of the agents mm. or her ghostwriter. And then like her nails were a different color in the exact same scene. So it was like a pickup scene to yeah, and it was a crying the story scene too. it was right. a crying
1: scene so was like you re-cried so that's like an you're an actress and yeah. the the new jersey mid-season trailer dropped right and then a friend of mine who's actually a producer went and sent me some old um instagram post that was someone had, had taken while the show was filming in like february or something and he was like filming for new jersey ended i don't know december i might have the months wrong and then this shot of them filming here was like february so they've gone back months later and like shot a scene it was when Teresa's on the date you know you've seen the trailer she's on a date with some yes. new guy and she makes out with him that was a scene they shot after production had wrapped Yeah, now they're, like, obviously putting it into the season like it's happening. But
2: that, I think, makes sense because people want to see what's, like, the latest. Like, when Sheena Shea and Mike Shea got divorced, that conversation on the couch where she divorced him or asked for a divorce, that was shot after production had wrapped as well. So I think they're just trying to put a bow on the end, kind of, of of the season to to show what's going on.
1: I hope that the, the the date or whoever she was kissing, is that the guy she's with now? Yeah, that's that- why I
2: think okay. they wanted to bring it in, because, you know, she okay. bought a house with him, and I think they're trying to, like, sell on that part of yeah. her life story.
1: Okay, yeah, and then that's the lead-up, I guess, for the next season is Teresa's exactly. new relationship.
2: <laughs> and hey, I'm here for it, I'll watch it. <laughs>
1: like everything they're doing
2: it totally is okay i want to get some of your opinions and potentially unpopular opinions so what would you say is your favorite bravo real housewives franchise
1: um well there's a difference between my favorite and objectively the best one uh my favorite is uh, the housewives of oc for sure like by miles um and the one that I think is objectively the best would either be well, New York has jumped the shark a bit, but if you look at them overall, um, either New York or Potomac.
2: Okay. See, but choosing the OC is definitely an unpopular opinion. I think a lot of us have been watching it and been frustrated at. I think I think ever since Heather Dubrow left, it's gone down. That's just uh, my take. Well-
1: Yeah, no, look, they have made some really, really bad... I think that the OC actually has suffered from the worst casting decisions in terms of, like, who they get rid of. Like, they get rid of a lot of really good people. Like, obviously, Heather Dubrow is, like, an all-star housewife. She's someone that it's, like, really... Like, you would never want to get rid of her. Like, to me, she's kind of, like she is like a teresa or like a you know lisa Rinner or one, one of these people that it's like you cannot remove this person from the equation so that was stupid they shouldn't have got rid of like gretchen i mean there's been so many good ones even this is unpop this is another unpopular one uh, i thought Lydia McLaughlin was really good no. on this show and <laughs> let me just let me just put a qualifier okay her solo storyline with the Doug's balls was like one of the worst solo storylines I've ever seen like her solo stuff was horrible but I thought she was really good in the group dynamics because the first season she was on she came for Heather Dubrow which other people hadn't really and then her second season like she really came at Shannon and this was sort of before Shannon had really been like taken to task so she and shannon's a big strong character lydia came after her lydia got into it with uh you know Megan king Edmonds. like lydia was not afraid to like get in the mix and stuff but she and she's like she's annoying but it's like in a unique weird way that's like fun for housewives so i thought that lydia was kind of like maybe a perfect friend of the show but look oc is my favorite i absolutely loved the last season of oc that everybody hated um I felt like because of, because of like, COVID broke as and it kind of, like, screwed up the filming, uh, the show was so much less produced than the other Housewives shows and the way that they all had their individual s- stories, for me it reminded me of, like, early Housewives, of, like, when we just followed people in their real life having real issues, and they did have real issues. Like, I mean, Bronwyn's stuff, yes, obviously Bronwyn was, like, using things for like attention and everything because she's such a narcissist but like these were real things she was going through. Oh, definitely whether she, yeah whether she milked it for a storyline or not these are things she's actually going through um i'm trying to think what else like there was actually a lot like the stuff with um elizabeth I mean, vargas Shane. yeah elizabeth vargas with the um with the cult stuff like they all had a lot of personal story like gina kirchenheimer's stuff with her ex-husband matt that was really um, good yeah, Kelly Dodd with, you know, Rick settling into life with Rick and, you know, dealing with Sholy, um, Emily's husband getting COVID, like they all had they all had a lot of stuff going on and it was so much more real and more authentic. And I just loved it. I was like glued to that season. And and even before before COVID happened and they all did have to go their separate ways, there was really good drama brewing anyway. Like, there was already some good fights. There was the one where Bronwyn broke the glass and stormed out. Like, there was a lot happening on that season. And I feel like one day people will look back and they'll be like, oh, my God, that OC season really wasn't that bad. I felt like
2: <laughs> – I
1: think people were so I don't upset think it was
2: like, – in terms of entertainment value, I thought it was better than the previous two seasons for
1: sure. Yeah, oh, well, cool. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was too. I mean, I think they were getting back in a groove with when they hired Emily and Gina. I think the only bad season in my opinion that there was of the OC was the one with Peggy Sulahian. I mean, that was oh, shocking. Man. Like that was that was really bad, and that was the one with Lydia where I Lydia was like one of the only bright spots for me in that season <laughs> I mean not her solo <laughs> stuff but her coming for Shannon and everything I, I liked that I think she's one of my all-time least favorite housewives probably
2: the people top. hate her people I just hate her. I don't know what it is. She annoyed the hell out of me, and annoyed me so much that I couldn't enjoy scenes she was in. And that is very rare for me. I don't get annoyed very easily. I don't know if it's that she looked like a little girl next to these women. I don't (laughs) know what what it is exactly. (laughs) I mean, she looked like a child, right? Who like just got her braces off.
0: (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was so that's what made it so funny and when oh, she like dresses it. like charlie chaplin like that in the mean, Charlie Chaplin, that like.
2: was iconic that was hilarious <laughs> that was I so don't know. funny
1: i just th- i think she was good in the mix i think she should have been kept as a friend full time i can understand not a full because yeah the doug's balls again i think doug's balls and the first time porsche went vegan they're two of the worst storylines in my opinion ever on housewives
2: <laughs> actually i i think i agree So do you think that Brandy should return to Beverly Hills?
1: Um, Okay, so I'm a big Brandy Glanville fan. I always have been. For me, the moment when I'm like, she can't be on the show was last season she made an appearance at a charity. I can't remember if it was Kyle's or Kathy's or something. And she got really drunk and she fell over on the stage towards the end of the night. She had like a short skirt on. She was like head over heels. And when I saw that, I was like, She's. I mean, I love Brandy Glanville, but I'm like, she's drinking too much. Like, if you can't stay on your feet for one night of filming, because I mean, this is a job. Like, you're not just like partying like with your friends. Like, you're at. It's a was a classy function for one. It's a classy charity event, and then also you're here to like do a job for a show, and you can't even stay sober. So I feel like if she had some some stuff under control, yes, because she does bring a lot to the show. Like she is really great reality television like you put brandy glanville on any reality show and there's you've got a show like she is incredible television but she she can't be drinking that much on a show like beverly hills
2: yeah um did you like danielle on the real housewives of new jersey do you think she should still be there
1: yeah danielle (laughs) Stubb is one of my favorites (laughs) not that i say that she's right about everything but um She's just, I think she's the best Housewives villain of all time. She is the true Queen of Jersey because she carried those two seasons, like, single-handedly on her own. Like, season two, she really couldn't even film with anybody, and she had that whole season, really. Like, season two was basically just... Danielle's style. <laughs> you know, like um, Teresa never would have flipped a table if it wasn't for Danielle. And then when Danielle came back, she was really good at like stirring stuff up. And, you know, they did not treat her right at all. Um, with the way that they sided with Teresa after Teresa had been the one that told Danielle to pull Marge's hair and then they were all like oh let's forgive Teresa but ostracize Danielle I was just like this is bullshit you're throwing her under the bus uh this season of Jersey I find like borderline unwatchable like if Danielle's not on it's just not entertaining for me like yes she's so toxic she's completely insane she's out of her mind I'm not like oh my god Danielle's like she's such a good person you know I relate to her so much like of course not but she's brilliant TV like I just love watching her she's so entertaining
2: it's so funny I disagree with you but I feel like you're <laughs> arguing your points really well
1: <laughs> so I, mean, I had a
2: final question for you so not on unpopular opinions but a lot of people have been watching Bronwyn and see that she's always like in Daily Mail, or, you know, other paparazzi and things like that. There's pictures for on the beach with her girlfriend, I guess they broke up. But like, there's all these photos of her. And I know there were all these photos of like Stasi when she was pregnant and things like that. And as an entertainment journalist, how do you know when someone has called the paparazzi on themselves? And that's how the stories are being generated? Like, how can you tell?
1: Well, first of all, like, there's barely any paparazzi anyway, anymore. Like, this isn't 2002. Like, this isn't the, you know, Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, like, tabloid culture when it was at its peak and paparazzi were everywhere, papping everyone. There's barely any paparazzi anymore. So most of the time they're going to be set up. Like, even the cl- the classiest, you know, A-listers and stuff, they're all still setting up photos. Uh
2: even Ben Affleck getting nice coffee.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So, one, if they're really unflattering and they're not putting forth any like positive narrative or something, that's one way to be able to tell. Like, if it's really putting the person in a bad light, that can, I mean, it will look actually it depends on the person because a D lister will put themselves in a bad light just to have the attention. Whereas, like, an A-lister is not going to do that. But if someone has had a big scandal, like, okay, you've got like a Hollywood couple and they just like broke up with their spouse or something, paparazzi might go and like go out the front of their house trying to get a picture because we all want to get the first photo of whatever, Chrissy Teigen after she filed for divorce from John Legend. Obviously, that never. Didn't That's, That's never. a hypothetical bit. if something like that happened yes paparazzi are going to be like following them around if it's fucking Bronwyn Windenburg at a random beach like that is set up you also have to think of the location like where would paparazzi be like paparazzi aren't just like hanging out at a random beach they're not hanging out in like suburbia they're going to be in LA at like hot spots where they know that celebrities are frequenting and like wanting to be seen because you know sometimes paparazzi is there there's like certain restaurants and stuff where you know that's a celebrity hub so you know if i want to be seen i'll go and eat here and the paparazzi you know that so they're you know hanging around to get pictures of these people but a, a lot of it is a lot of it is set up and it's either set up in that someone has like arranged it and they've had their PR person call and it's like I'm going to be here at this time and I'm going to be walking down this street so make sure you get me, you know, sucking on a lollipop as I get into the car. <laughs> it's either that or it's just like the celebrity knows that there is going to be a paparazzi at this particular club or whatever so they just show up to get papped. But there's not that many, you know, natural pap photos anymore.
2: That's really interesting. I don't think I realized that until this year. I just assumed <laughs> that, like in California, there were tons of paparazzi all the time, and the photos were just snapped.
1: <laughs> I forget, like I forget that if you're not in the business, like that people still do think like that because then I yeah. get because I'm so used to being in that bubble, and it's even like I think it maybe it's contributed to how cynical I am with some of the reality shows now as well because just you know knowing more people behind the scenes and people that have been on shows and stuff like. And just working in the industry and knowing how it's sort of like everyone's just, you know, working an angle. Um, I can't look at these things without seeing that side of it now.
2: It's so funny because, you know, these people want to be famous and they want to be really well known. And... You know, where I live in DC, some of the people are famous, but most aren't. Like most people in America, like so many of them don't even know their own member of Congress. And most couldn't probably even name like 10 to 15 members of Congress. So, you know, someone like me who knows most members of Congress, you know, I, I'll see them randomly getting coffee somewhere or something and it's no big deal. And they can go incognito. All around D.C. and even, you know, on planes, things like that, it's no big deal. But, you know, for some of these people, once you get on a TV show or once you're in a movie or, you know, once you're a big pop star, your average American does know who that person is and what they look like and can spot them a lot easier.
1: And there's also different types of politicians. Like, there are certain politicians that are, like, that love the limelight and they're trying to put themselves uh, at, like, every news conference and in front of every camera and they want, you know, profiles in all these magazines and stuff. So it also kind of, like, depends on the person. Yeah. I consider all forms of – I consider, like, all forms of public life pretty much entertainment, whether it's news, politics, uh, sports, like – reality television I kind of like all lump it in together like you want to be in the public eye
2: (laughs) (laughs) although for different reasons usually and some have Mm. talent and and some some do not yeah (laughs) so let's get into this week in Bravo let's start out with Atlanta so they head down to New Orleans for a cast trip any kind of takeaway thoughts did you how do you feel about Kenya Moore
1: Love Kenya, one of my all-time favorite housewives. Like, and that show was such a flop that season that she wasn't on. It was basically unwatchable. So you know, I usually, I usually say like, no housewife um is like vital to the show. Like, you can get rid of anyone, you can still have a good show. Like New York, the first time they got rid of Bethany, I thought was still super fun without Bethany when they brought in like Heather and Carol and stuff. But Kenya, like, she's so important for for atlanta like you just would not have anything going on without her and i love her everything she does i agree with even if i think she's in the wrong i'm like well she's doing it for storyline so i still agree with it because she's giving us a show uh i like relate to her so much i love her oh my i just love everything about her my favorite part of that episode was when um drew was like um you know let's booty bounce for the keys to the bedroom and kenya was like i'm not fucking booty like give me my fucking key and then when she wouldn't give her the key she just walked to the concierge and she's like can i get a room i'll pay for it because that's what i would do i'm like, <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> that is literally me in real life like i'm not playing some like game to get my key and if not i'll just go pay for it myself i don't care to avoid this
2: it's so interesting. I couldn't tell if she just didn't want to dance or if she didn't want to dance on camera because she's likely going to have a custody battle and she doesn't want to like any, because when she said oh. degrade myself, I was like, oh, do you think you're going to be seen in a negative light on camera and then this could be used against you in court in some way? That's how I interpreted it.
1: That That's a good point for sure. I could totally see that because Kenya is very smart and she would think of things like that. But I also think Kenya's personality, it's like, If Kenya's, they mentioned it uh, on the episode when they went bike riding and Drew was like, wow, like, you know, Kenya's in a good mood. It definitely changes the energy of the group. It's like, if Kenya's in that good mood, like, everyone is going to be having fun. But if she's not, she's just over it. And she's like, just get me to my fucking room. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, it wouldn't even matter the bigger things. It's just how do I feel in this moment?
2: But... It's not just get me to my room. It's I'm going to make everyone else's time miserable until my Mm. needs are met.
1: (laughs) That is where
2: (laughs) it gets a little bit annoying sometimes as a viewer. But I I do think she's great at contributing to the show. So Marlo and Portia also have a heart to heart um, in this episode where you know, Portia's pissed that Marlo and Kenya are now friends, but Marlo points out that Portia, she stood by Portia when Portia befriended Kenya last season, you know, even though she had some misgivings. So what do you think about all this? You know, can you see kind of both their sides? Like, what
1: do you think? I could, I could barely even understand what they were arguing about. I love Marlo. Pretty much nothing Portia does is authentic. She's one of the most calculated and and contrived bravo celebrities. period so i side-eye everything she does i don't know if she's actually upset i don't know if she wants like a storyline i can't tell I don't care. There's rumours that she might be leaving. I hope she does. Um, good for what? Marlo and Kenya being friends. Love them together. They're so much fun. I'm ready for them to be the the new freaking frack and a more authentic freaking frack as opposed to Phaedra and Portia, which was just like, oh, my God, we're funny on camera. The fans like it. Let's be freaking frack. Like, I am so here for Marlo and Kenya. I, I don't care that Portia's upset. And I don't even know if I believe it. I think the whole
2: upsetness is she's upset at Kenya for Kenya going to the, you know, blogs or whatever about what happened with Bolo. And I think it's, I don't know, it's causing some issues for her, definitely for Tanya. And I think she sees, you know, anyone that's cozying up to Kenya is sort of okaying this behavior or something like that. But yeah. then wouldn't she be upset with Cynthia and Candy who are friends with Kenya?
1: Well, yeah, well, I mean, she wants to have an excuse to not like Kenya. But, um, I mean, Kenya has been the ringleader of it, obviously, with the going to the blogs. Like I said, Portia's so completely calculated um, and all about her image. And Portia probably this season is supposed to be her season. I'm an activist. Like, it's meant to be the spotlight on that. And now Kenya's gone and leaked to the blogs that you were, you know, wasted and banging a stripper in a threesome with you know tanya sam and that's not the image that portia's trying to cultivate for herself right now in the public eye. so uh yeah that's probably why she's upset about it because it's like i had this whole plan to have this because we already heard that um i don't know, i can't remember if this came out on the show oh, yeah, I can't her
2: and candy came. got into it yeah yeah because, that wasn't shown yeah,
1: yeah because which i wasn't sure if it would be shown because i I think, you know, it's good for Bravo's brand to have Portia in, you know, the light that she's in at the moment and they don't want something to kind of like diminish that. So for people listening that are a across set, Candy was doing like some Black Lives Matter work and some, you know, social justice stuff. And Portia apparently like kind of didn't want it on the show because it was supposed to be like Portia's thing. And, you know, Kenya found out about that and then you know, Kenya loves to poke and jab and put it all out there because I don't think that Candy would have revealed it herself because Candy's yeah. pretty discreet across She's the board with extremely many.
2: Extremely discreet.
1: Yeah, with many things. Like, there. I mean, the amount of, like, skeletons in the closet, Candy seems to have a rule of, like, look, if it doesn't make it to air on the show, I'm not talking about it. Um, and whereas Kenya's like, you know, mention it all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, candy's the one i would want as my friend but kenya is the one that makes this show going i've been saying what would we be watching right now what would we be arguing about if kenya didn't reveal what happened with bolo
1: oh absolutely and just i love the way that she's like she won't drop it it's so funny (laughs) it's hilarious i love candy by the way she's she's one of my favorites
2: Candy is probably the most brilliant out of all of them. She has marketed herself. She has made herself in, you know, you can't dispose of her. I feel like I can't watch Atlanta like you say Kenya like if Ken if Candy's not there, I can't imagine watching. I I just feel like she's so integral as like what I think of when I think of the Real Housewives of Atlanta.
1: You know, well, Candy's the real queen of the show. It's not Nene. Like, that's why Candy was the highest paid, which came out the other year. Like, Candy's incredible. People, it's funny because, like, Housewives Twitter will whinge about Candy and be like, she's boring. And it's like, how is she boring? Like, because she's not like throwing drinks on people. Like, she literally always has big storylines all of her businesses is successful she's had more spin-offs than anybody else and they're higher rated like how is she boring when she's getting all these spin-offs and they're actually doing well in the ratings like your fave hasn't had a spin-off or if they have it flopped like candy's killing it like candy could leave the housewives of atlanta and do her own show like the tuckers like don't be tardy and it would probably rate like it would probably rate higher than don't be tardy so i hate I hate Candy, hate. And I get upset whenever there's a little glimpse of something about Candy that maybe I don't like or that I think, oh, did Candy do something shady there? Like, it always it disappoints me a lot because I actually really hold her in such high esteem. So anything that's, like, not putting her in the best light is kind of... Depressing to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with that. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you about was that dinner with Latoya, where she was saying that she didn't have any regret over her behavior at Halloween. And then Drew is grilling her about why she's not drinking. And this story didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because we didn't see it on camera. I was like, so when did Latoya get close with Drew's driver? And like, why did they go to church? Like, none of it made sense to me. So I'm hoping starts to make sense this coming week. Well,
1: I'm also confused of like, well, wait, does she have a drinking problem that we don't know about? Right. Uh, because... All I've seen from LaToya so far is she's just being, like, a troll. Like, and LaToya is a mini Kenya, which is so funny to me. Like, she's literally doing exactly like when Kenya blasted onto the show and was doing coochie crack at Cynthia's – remember Cynthia's fash at the Bailey Agency and she had the models up and she brought in Kenya as, like, to to help judge the models and Kenya was, like, attacking all of the models going, I don't want to see coochie crack. She was being so over the top. for for airtime and to make drama and like Latoya's doing that and you know what I usually don't like a thirsty housewife that just comes in and starts making fake like it usually irritates me and with Latoya I just think it's so fucking funny um I'm kind of enjoying everything LaToya does, but then this this drinking thing comes out of nowhere, and I was very confused because on one hand they're framing it, you have a drinking problem, and then Cynthia in her confessional said something like, um, yeah, she drinks a lot, but like I don't think she has a drinking problem. So I'm like, mm, what's going on? Is Drew just trying to make something happened now that was very confusing
2: the whole thing is confusing but at least with kenya when she causes trouble i'm like okay we know that her mother abandoned her didn't want her she's got all of these like issues with men where she chooses men who are violent and you know treat her horribly with Latoya, i don't know any of her backstory so when she causes like trouble i like to know why people behave the way they do like with brandy glanville when she first came on the scene it was right after her husband had left her for leanne rhymes and it was more easy to understand why she was acting out with latoya there's no backstory so i'm not invested in it
1: yeah, no, I know what you mean, and like I said, I usually wouldn't like this kind of behaviour just because I'm like, okay, this is too contrived, but just something about LaToya I find so funny. You know, she actually made a comment, someone sent it to me yesterday on the Instagram, where she said she was love and hip-hopping the show, and what I think she was referring to is, I mean, like, love and hip-hop is one of the fakest reality shows out. Like, you, if you've ever seen an episode of love and hip-hop, it is, like, it looks like a hip-hop version of Days of Our Lives, literally. Like, it's so fake. And I was like, okay, like, has LaToya just come on and she's just like, I'm just going to, like, I'm just going to, like, be a tornado and come through and just make all this conflict. And she has made a lot of conflict. Like, she has made a lot of drama. I mean, look, they brought in LaToya, Drew, and Fallon, all right? You're all trying out to be on this show, highest-rated show on Bravo next to Below Deck, the hugest platform imaginable. And you know, Latoya did what she had to do to get a feature on this show. Like look at Fallon. Fallon was in like two scenes. Right. Right. You know, I kind of get it.
2: Okay. Well let's head down to Dallas. There's not a whole lot to talk about. I do not want to go into any of the individual storylines. I'm not interested in talking about Cam and her husband and getting a contract on the house. I mean it's but I do want to hear what you think about the Brandy versus Deandra of it all. So, Deandra is doing an interview and gets asked at the end of the interview about Brandy. And she mentions that they're going to tackle the racist video head on. So, of course, that ends up as the headline. And, you know, as an entertainment journalist, I'm sure you know oh. that even though if they had been talking for 45 minutes about something else and that was the one thing that she said about Brandy, that's going to be the headline. So, of course, yeah. Brandy is upset that DeAndre spoke on it before Brandy was able to speak on it in the press. I think that was sort of the issue there. What are your thoughts, also from the role, like, as a viewer, but also as an entertainment journalist?
1: Yeah, okay, well, um, I haven't seen this episode yet, but you summed it up pretty well. Uh, you know what, I was going to say that DeAndre shouldn't, I was going to say DeAndre should not have even commented on this whatsoever she should have let brandy handle this but at the same time it's a little bit i don't know what the context of the interview was that DeAndre was having but then it can also look a bit like is Deandra avoiding addressing it too because people want you to address it so and that's what she said if, okay in her confessional
2: yeah. <laughs> she's like i couldn't have said nothing i mean then it looks like we're not gonna and makes brandy look even worse
1: yeah th- that's true. I mean, I think that I was telling you off air that I think DeAndre is extremely calculated, so I think that DeAndre probably did it on purpose, and I feel like Brandy knows that, and I think that DeAndre knew that that would get headlines. I think DeAndre likes to be in a headline um <laughs> I don't know i under- I understand where Brandy's coming from a bit like I can kind of see both sides, but I think maybe DeAndre just probably should' have, like not mentioned it. I think obviously it's been like Brandy's been open about the mental health issues that she's had about it and she wants to address it in her own way and obviously we saw that that she did but did this interview that DeAndre gave so did this happen this happened after they filmed the start of the season then when like yeah. Brandy and Tiffany had the they're conversation they're well into um,
2: the season at this point so it's like wouldn't yeah. Brandy have done an interview while they were filming to get out whatever well, she narrative might have been she told- wanted
1: Well, maybe she was told not to. Maybe she maybe she was told, like, we just want it to play out on the show. I don't know. Look, I don't think that Brandy was mentally in a good spot to film the season, like, in general. So and she is really sad. Like she's getting in her head about a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot of paranoia and I I feel for her watching it because it's like um, you're seeing someone that's in a really dark place and it's not coping with things. Like I remember there was an episode like a a few weeks ago where, she thought that um, that Tiffany was maybe trying to like take a jab at her about medication or something. And it's like, she was just being completely paranoid. She was being completely paranoid. Like she shouldn't have come back on the show at this point. Like she should have stepped away. And it's why I really hope she doesn't come back just for her own mental health. Cause I do think she's a good person. Like I don't, you know, I don't dislike Brandy at all. Um, and I just think she's not coping and she's not handling things well. And I think she just needs to be like, away from Bravo and away from the trolling and and everything and get her mind right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone should be on a show after so soon after they've been very suicidal. I I can't imagine how that could be positive in any way. I'm sure she signed a contract by that point or whatever, but there has to be a way to pull out. I don't, I don't know why she She could pull out.
1: And you would think that there's a duty of care there that Bravo should probably have of assessing is she in the right place to come back now? But, I mean, look, Brandy's a big part of the show. She's been a main, like... If you go back through the show, it's like, okay, Leanne was obviously the biggest character, but Brandy would be like the second biggest character on that show. And they've already lost Leanne, so they probably didn't want to get rid of Brandy. I do know that Bravo have said, and I do agree, I do believe that they're being sincere. They've said that they've wanted to use some of the scandals as like teachable moments. Like I know that Andy came out and he said, he kind of said that he wished that the Vanderpump Rules people hadn't been fired and they could have used that as a teachable moment on the show. So I know that Bravo is big on that but i just i don't i just don't think that brandy's in the right headspace maybe she should have been demoted to a friend and they could have they they yeah maybe have they could have had her as a friend they could have addressed it they could have had that teachable moment because i thought that was a really like great scene in those first episodes when tiffany shared her experience about it with brandy and brandy was crying i thought that was handled really well and um maybe they could have just had Brandy pop in and out, but I don't think mentally she could handle a whole season. And I don't actually think she'll be at the reunion, to be honest.
2: Yeah. I don't think she wants to have to answer for the husband of hers or for any of the rumors on her adopted child or anything, but she, I don't, it's wild to me from like a PR standpoint, why she wasn't kind of guided through how to handle the racist video. Like number one, call it what it is. It was a racist video. Don't put air quotes on it, you know, or quotes when you're sending a text as if it's not. And it's something other people are calling racist, but it's not actually racist. Like, just basic accountability. I feel like she didn't get to that point because she's so fragile emotionally and no one's holding her feet to the fire in the way that they probably should because she's so fragile emotionally. And it's like, then don't be on the show if you can't account for your behavior. You know, it's, it's, I don't, maybe it's just me, but it's like, it's not that hard to say, listen, I was super wrong. Like there are a lot of things that I think are funny or I thought were funny that are clearly not funny. And it's humor at other people's expense. Some of the jokes are racist. We live in a racist society. You know, I didn't grow up with around a lot of people that didn't look like me or act like me or speak like me or have different beliefs than me. So I'm learning and I hope you'll give me some grace while I do it. and I very much apologize. And I just haven't heard it said in that
1: way. And so I think... Didn't she kind of yeah. say it at the start, though? Like, I felt like when she, it went... So when it went down, she, I remember she first did, she defended it. But
2: then, then she, now she's, like, when she uses the term racist video and quotes to me, that means that she never really truly took, abil- like, accountability because she won't call it what it is. And that's where I'm, like, in her heart, like, she just hasn't and everyone's tiptoeing around. They're like, "Oh, Brandy just sees some like she's constantly reminded when she's around Tiffany." And everyone's like, "That's Brandy's problem, not Tiffany's." But no mm-hmm. one seems to be able to tell her to her face. Like everyone's just kind of dancing around. And I I'm worried that this next season of Beverly Hills is going to be people dancing around Erica Jane and not wanting to make her feel uncomfortable. And I'm just like, "Come on, people. We have to start calling a spade a spade." at some point
1: yeah but it's false like how long do we need to drag it out for because it's like okay like she did the social media apology and everything at the time she went to the i don't know what it was she went to the retreat when she was feeling suicidal and she put out a thing they opened the season with tackling it head-on tiffany had this platform to share her experiences, you know, as an Asian American and like why it was so offensive to her. Brandy's crying, you know, Brandy's saying, I'm sorry. And then it's like, what episode are we up to now? Episode nine or something. Like, how long do we need to drag out an offensive video from years ago? You know, I, mean,
2: I agree, but she's the one dragging it out every single time. It's her well, being uncomfortable her with Tiffany, mm. it's her being yep. upset that Deandra said this thing. It's she keeps bringing it up. No one else is bringing it up. Tiffany's yeah, that's not bringing it one. up so yeah uh, she's just well, Tiffany's handled me. it
1: Tiffany's like been incredible in how she's handled things and she's really like she's not wanted to dwell on it she's wanted to be like let's move past it and be friends and that's and I feel really bad for Tiffany that I you know I blame Bravo a lot of it because I have a lot of empathy for Brandy as well and I've kind of blame bravo for putting tiffany in the situation where it's like she has to kind of like bear all of this bullshit and you know i've said before a few times that i think that bravo set up certain situations to exacerbate this like when they went to the um the chinese restaurant at the start with the chicken feet i think that was bravo i think that it was a setup. I don't think that Tiffany purposely set the other women up. I think Bravo went, oh, you should take them here and show them a bit of your culture because we, you know, we want the show to be a bit more diverse and we want to show, you know, like more of where you're from. And Tiffany's like, oh, great. But what the producers are actually thinking are like, haha, we're going to get these like redneck Texas women that aren't going to want to eat chicken feet and then they're going to look problematic. And then everyone on Twitter is going to talk about it and the show is going to trend like. <laughs> and I think yeah. that, Bravo is pulling a lot of these strings. I don't think Tiffany's doing anything maliciously. And I think that, um, of course, she's not. And I think that Brandy is dealing with so much. Like, she, she she's must have some pregnant. kind of
0: PTSD.
1: Yeah. I know and the emotions she doesn't know she's
2: pregnant at this point.
1: So the emotions and the oh hormones. Oh, my God. And, yeah. And I think that we forget how much... Um, like social media trolling can hurt people and um, you know, and it's not like, like the, the backlash that Brandy got was justified in the sense of when people said you had a racist video, you had an offensive video, whatever, that's like justified, like it is, but then it's kind of like you know to see that in headlines, to have everyone calling you a racist, and it's not just saying you did a racist thing. It's like you're a racist, you're a disgusting person. Like go kill yourself. Having that when every time you log on to Twitter and Instagram, and then you're also having it in the headlines, and then you know that you're going to have to address it on the show, and then you know that Bravo has brought in an Asian cast member that they want to con- you know confront about on camera, and then it's going to bring it all back up again, and it's yeah. like and she's a fragile state and she's had a lot of stuff happen since i don't know the timeline of everything that's happened in her life but her her mother-in-law died and her mm-hmm. daughter was in a car accident her dog yeah, just it's the died. same car accident but, yeah In the so same then car her daughter
2: accident. witnessed her the
1: grandma die i mean that's yeah. horrifying for that daughter to go through oh of course and then imagine brandy as a you know mother it's like that brand same- new mom yeah. now
2: there's her husband's cheating on her. There's video of it. There's these horrible stories about her adopted son that maybe it was, you know, her, we don't know if
1: it's true or not, but it's nasty just to, yeah, I don't think it's
2: true, but it's a horrible thing to say. And,
1: her her dog just died. You and I are so we're joined at the hip with our pets. You with Stassi. Oh my and me god, my <laughs> dog chunky. So it's like <laughs> yeah. she has s- just so much coming at her, and it's why I feel really bad for her. And I log on to Twitter every time Dallas airs, and my whole timeline is just the nastiest stuff about Brandy, and I'm just like can we just lay off her like this <laughs> Like I'm just... Yeah. Yeah. I, I see I her. see
2: all sides. I see being very frustrated mm. at her for not taking accountability. But again, this was yeah. filmed how long ago? We don't know where she's at right now. So we're frustrated at her actions from this past summer, you know?
1: Yeah. All um, right. And I feel bad for Tiffany. Sorry, I just want to throw that in because it yeah. isn't fair for Tiffany to have to like cobble this for her first season. And Tiffany has specifically tried not to do this because there are other people that... There are other people that would want to dwell in it more and like bring it up and and Tiffany's like I'd want to move past it and like get like to have other stuff going on and she's not being allowed to.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, let's head over to New Jersey. <laughs> I know you get are a little annoyed by it, so we don't have to spend too much time. I'm loving Jersey. I love this cast of Jersey. I think they are one of the best ensemble casts I've seen on Housewives, even though if I don't like them all, like I don't like Teresa and I don't like love Jennifer, but I see what they each bring and I, I like it together. If that makes any sense, but man, was it overwhelming the first ten minutes of this episode with like the fighting with Jackie and then Marge and Jennifer and then Marge's husband Joe and everyone's yelling and then you know they go inside and then Teresa and Joe and Melissa start arguing and. And Melissa's, you know, screaming and drops a plate of cheese cubes and then she goes and then she starts cleaning up the cheese cubes and then her husband is like pounding on the table and the wine flies. It's nuts. It is absolutely insane. I, I didn't even know how to process it.
1: I, look, that was great. One of my, the things that's so disappointing for me about Jersey, right, is that if you don't have this insanity with cheese cu- i'm getting tongue-tied cheese cubes flying and people <laughs> screaming Or you don't have someone going your daughter does coke in the bathroom the show is like basically unwatchable like it needs to be at this level 10 for it to excite me and then other than that like i'm i don't enjoy it uh you know what that first half of that episode i was getting so angry because Teresa has been pissing me off so much with her lack of accountability and it's not just this season this is like 10 years of this of her doing things to people never being able to say sorry not even that she can't say sorry it's that she's so fucking stupid that she can't even get it in her head of like what she doesn't see reality and it reminded me of people in my own life that I've had fights with and they've done something wrong or whatever and you're trying to like explain it to them And their hamster wheel of a fucking brain, like, doesn't get it. And it's so, because then you're getting worked up. It's like, why can't you see? It's like, I'm trying to tell you that we're looking at a triangle. And they're like, no, it's a square. It's like, no, it's a fucking triangle. Like, I was getting so annoyed watching her. And then I calmed down the second half of the episode, because then she kind of did apologize. And I'm like, what? Like, because Teresa never really does that. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, let's move on. I didn't mean any of it. And then I'm like, okay, so... I felt better, but then I'm like, okay, now the show's gone back to like being boring again because I can't stand Jennifer Aiden and um they just they these women drive me crazy. But I love Margaret at the moment.
2: Love Margaret. <laughs> I love all of them. I love the Dolores Frank David dynamic. I'm all here for it. It is bizarre. It is fascinating to watch. You know, her son is living with her boyfriend and she's living with her ex husband. Like it's <laughs> I, I'm here for it. I am. I am. I like it. I enjoy like the dynamic between the women. I love that Melissa, Jackie, and Marge are legit real friends. I love that Dolores and Teresa are long time, long time decades long friends. And like those are like re- legit real friendships. And I know by the end of the season that Dolores and Jackie become really close. And so I'm really interested to see how that happens. I just I'm interested. I'm here. I'm well,
1: invested. Dolores and Teresa's friendship is like, Dolores was actually my favorite on the show for a while. Cause I don't need a housewife to be screaming and throwing things all the time. Like if I like you, I like you. Um, and Dolores was my favorite for a long time, but I I've had it up to here now with, you know, a, her storyline is pretty much the same thing all the time. And B, she doesn't hold Teresa accountable to the level that she should be held. Like she does tiptoe around thing with, things with Teresa so they have an alliance I actually was listening to Dolores on a podcast and she said something and she said um that her and Teresa had an agreement that they would always put their friendship first or something and that they wouldn't let the show ruin it which to me just meant we have an alliance of where we're never gonna go against each other although it only really benefits Teresa because it's like when's Dolores going to do anything that is going to cause like Teresa to go against her like (laughs) (laughs) Dolores is very aware of what she is putting out on the show and actually this podcast interview I was listening to Dolores actually has such a fiery confrontational personality and I'm hearing it more there but she reigns it in on the show which is frustrating because we all know that Dolores could like go there and like get in this drama more and like get and she she holds herself back that frustrates me about Dolores um the real friendships I do like Jackie and Margaret's friendship um I don't know I'm just I can't stand Jennifer Aiden the most obnoxious housewife (laughs) in (laughs) history and I (laughs) every time her storyline is always one of her family members my daughter's been bullied my gay brother now it's like my dad's moving in with me i don't care like this isn't don't be tardy with jennifer Aiden. it's the real housewives of new jersey you know so i just i'm i don't know i miss danielle (laughs) i miss jacqueline (laughs) Lorena. i miss diggy i miss all the like the the other people (laughs)
2: Oh, I like it. I don't know. It's like, so I also am a newer watcher of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. I missed all those early seasons. I never got into it. I thought that I, I didn't like this the screaming that I feel like always knew that Jersey, like I just wasn't into it. And it's not aspirational living to me to have these like ridiculous McMansions, you know, and see it in like the gray of winter. And they all live off like a huge interstate. Like none of it was exciting to me. I got into housewives for Beverly Hills to be able to look at California and sunshine and pools and ocean and money, right? Like real money. And so, New Jersey was the last one I got into and then when I watched it and Siggy was on I was like oh my god she makes Jews look so horrible I can't so (laughs) then I like once she was off then I got into it I just I couldn't with Siggy I was like just don't do this to my people we've been through I
1: was (laughs) I was obsessed with Siggy on the show I was disappointed that she went so far off the deep end in real life because I thought she was so much fun on the show and I would have liked to be able to advocate for more because i just loved the insanity that she brought that second season i thought it was the funniest thing ever that was the last jersey season i really liked but then uh i liked whenever Danielle was on but you've got oh my god you have to go back and look jersey's probably my least favorite overall but the early seasons of jersey are like pretty incredible like you can definitely fast forward some scenes like you can fast forward some of the manzo family stuff very boring but Like, the first three seasons, the whole thing with Danielle, like, there's never been a better Housewives villain or story play out. And then when season three, when they bring in, like, Joe and Melissa and that family dynamic, like, that's some real shit. Now, I don't know. It's just a lot of bullshit.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Although, when you see, you know, Teresa and her brother Joe, like, make up after a big fight and they're like, we're all each other has you know, in terms of like, what's left of their nuclear family, like that does get at something for me, like I have a brother, I can't imagine us (laughs) screaming at each other, like, not like that, you know, and and certainly not going after his wife, like, it's just such a bizarre dynamic
1: for me. Go back and see the the Melissa versus Teresa stuff, how it really plays out and stuff. It's wild. And uh, just for the record, Joe Gorga is my favorite one on the show. He's the main reason that I actually still watch. I love Joe Gorga. I think he's so hot. I think he's so funny. I'm just, I just love him.
2: I appreciate the guys on the show. When they all get together, like I feel like they're not putting on a show. They're not trying. They don't have an angle. They're just like showing up, getting paid being in front of a camera, and I find it hilarious. I love, like, Joe, um, Margaret's husband, Joe Gorga, Frank, Frank and and David, like, you know, like, David nursed Frank back to health when he broke both his legs. Like, I love all of that, so... I, I, I mean, feel it's like, the most
1: watchable like, part of the show. Yeah. It would be unwatchable without the husbands. Like, they've had to sort of give it a married-to-medicine thing where they're making it, like, they're really involving the couples, or I don't think it would even work.
2: Yeah. Did, were you following the Twitter fight between Margaret and Jennifer Aiden that spilled out after the episode?
1: Yes, I was. And I will say in general, not to this one specifically, but including this, is that I'm getting... S- I feel like after every housewife, like, during its airing, two of the cast members will always have, like, a Twitter fight now. And I almost feel like it's encouraged because it's for it social is. media engagement. I it totally. Seems-
2: it, it was so – I don't know w- what Jennifer Aiden would get positive out of, like, relitigating this fight where, mm. you know, she's speaking of Margaret in a negative light where Margaret – announced earlier on the show that she had been pressured into sleeping with her boss when she was very young when she was like 20 right and she was brand new in the fashion industry she slept with her boss she didn't really want to but she felt like she had to and she's coming out telling this story i think from a lens of like harassment right sexual harassment workplace harassment you know not full consent and then you've got Jennifer judging her and being like you slept your way to the top and it's such a it's something that's happening right now and being litigated like in the public eye in the press where people are having these kinds of conversations and i think margaret is just genuinely shocked that any woman couldn't just understand the pressure and like what she was trying to say and how vulnerable she was being by saying it and instead trying to slut shame her for a you know things she did that she didn't really want to do to begin with so
1: yeah well. well, she's putting something out there that regarding me too and everything that's a bit more of a gray area because it's yeah. not you weren't raped but you also you weren't just sleeping with someone for a job it's this like gray area in between that requires more nuance and understanding and then Jennifer Aiden because she's just so obnoxious is just like, you know, you fucked your boss like for a job. And it's just <laughs> like, okay, girl.
2: Oh well, let's wrap up with Summer House, which is my absolute favorite show on Bravo right now. I am loving it. I love all of them. I And I appreciated this episode where there was so much accountability and so much ownership. And, you know, yeah, there was this crazy drunken fight and Carl lunged at Luke and Lindsay tackled Kyle and, you know, and then the next morning they all regretted their behavior and they all did some introspection and came back together and apologized and owned up to their parts in it. It was amazing. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cheesy. I I loved it. I'm here for the
2: cheese. I'm here for the cheese. I'm here for the cheese that Melissa drops on the floor and picks back up 10 minutes later, and I'm here for all the cheese between Carl, Kyle, and Luke.
1: Here for uh, it. Well- Look, I love Summer House as well. I think it's definitely one of the the better shows on Bravo for sure. It's it's outdoing most of the Housewives easy, and I really like how they've locked them all in this house, like and done it Big Brother style. Like, I actually think they need to continue doing the show like that now, moving forward. Um, although we'll see what happens because the ratings have been really bad, but what? it's really it's so yeah, the good. ratings i know i'm like what is going on like i the ratings hit i think under 500k for an episode the other day and all the other week sorry and i just thought what is going on because this is amazing um that whole fight yeah it was good tv although i don't really have you know i don't really have a dog in the fight per se because i just think like i think luke is such a douche honestly um i've never been a fan of luke but then the other guys like kyle and kyle and stuff it's like can you stop being hypocrites like you were yeah. fuck boys for every single season and now you're on your high horses and you're like judging luke for you know similar-ish behavior that you guys did for years probably worse than luke has ever way done. worse
2: than luke and um, yeah opinion.
1: but i i also don't i think i do think luke is such a douche i think that he was playing the girls possibly more than we saw on the show um I mean, I think they're all playing, but then I think, like, Hannah plays mind games too. See, like, I think they're all, like, they're all shit. Like, they're all bad in their own ways. So. <laughs> <That's laughs> so I so wasn't funny. even, like, I'm on, I'm on one person's side in particular. Like, I just think they're all kind of shady, but I love it. I enjoy watching them. I mean, Danielle's not shady. She's boring, but she's the nicest, probably the nicest one there. Um, yeah, and I don't know, the next day with all of that, I just thought it was, like... Very it was just a bit theatrical with I'm sorry, like <laughs> I loved it. I, I, know I you felt like it. they
2: were being really honest. I felt like Carl was being really honest and was um very it's something I could really relate to, like having gone through like extreme grief and the stages of grief you go through so quickly and then you go through new ones and then it happens in different order again. And that anger stage is real. And he's like, I'm angry and I don't know how to channel my anger. Right. And then you're at a you know point sometimes with grief where you're like, F it, nothing matters. Right. And so then he's drinking and he knows he shouldn't be drinking. And that I thought was like so relatable. And then You've got, you know, Luke, like Hussein, that he hit a boiling point. And I just think, you know, you've got all these people in the house that are coming at you. And I, you know, when you, I forgot who you said was the most calculated housewife, but I think Hannah Berner is one of the most calculating people I have ever seen on my television screen. She spent Months trying to concoct the story that her and Luke were sort of dating and it hadn't been defined, but she was under the impression they were dating and they were not. And she would take pictures of like screenshots when they were FaceTiming just as friends and then post it on social media. If you want to hear the whole story, Luke opens up on the podcast Chanel in the City and I think he oh. got bamboozled. Like, he had no idea until he showed up that this was
1: going to be Hannah's storyline. And she planned it. I've been fascinated by this as well. I've been working through it week to week, trying to figure out how much did... Because, look, I know people like Like, there's a million Hannahs in the industry where they think of everything of, like, you know, mapping it out on social media and all of this stuff. But then sometimes I see Hannah's Behavior and then it, she also reminds me of a friend that I have that is so fucking irrational and just isn't seeing reality and it's almost how I was getting worked up earlier about Teresa and it's like, this isn't what happened. Like, can you, why can't you see what's going on? And then I think maybe that is just who Hannah is and it's also, it's not unusual to have a situation between a guy and a girl where they're both... You know, sort of on different planets about it, and they don't realize, like, the guy can be thinking, What? I didn't know it was like serious. And then the woman's like caught feelings, and then she thinks that it's deeper than it is. And it could be, it could be that. And I, I get what you're saying. And usually I am the cynical person that is like, This is all a plot. Like, this is all a scheme. And with them, I actually can't, I can't figure it out because it's sort of like every, every version of that makes sense to me. If someone says it, like, if it's like, I don't know. It just makes my head want to explode. But I want to listen to this podcast now that you told me to listen to because I might change my mind.
2: So I think it was this. They were on different planets like last season and a little bit after the summer and into the fall. And I think by winter, it wasn't like that anymore at all. And they even had a conversation. He said that she's like, so what are we? He's like, what do you mean? We're friends. I'm not hooking up with you. I'm FaceTiming with you every once in a while. We text a bunch, but it like he said that she would show up at dinners where he was hanging out with like Lindsay, Danielle, and Carl. And she would show up and just get a photo and then leave and go hang out with her comedy friends and oh. then post it on social media as if she had actually sat down to dinner with them when she just showed up to say hi and kind of, and she was curating it. And I think. I don't think Luke is, like, of the smartest people that's been on television, and I feel like (laughs) she totally bamboozled him, and I think he's, like, trying to put the pieces together this whole season. Like, this person who I thought was legit my actual friend is throwing me under the bus for a story and turning someone who I actually was interested in with someone against me. And I believe it with my heart and soul. (laughs)
1: No, and I'm not discounting what you're saying, and I'm the. It's just funny because usually I would be on that. I would be on that train with you 100 because that is the way that my mind works. Like I said, I'm always side eyeing these people, and there's and it makes sense to me. But then there's also this part of me that I'm like, I don't know. And she was so into him the other season, right? Yeah. And she was so legitimately in, and he did kind of string her along, and totally. didn't really. Com- he was being such a fuck boy and then it's kind of like we've been in that and she is still kind of young too well she's still in her 20s and she's an immature in her 20s yeah, and uh, yeah she's very immature and we've been in that situation before where you like someone or whatever and then they go look we're just friends and you're like okay we're just friends but then their actions it's like well he says we're just friends but he's still calling me all the time and he's telling me all these intimate things and like right she could she could have thought that because it's like he could say, he could be saying verbally, we're not together, we're just friends, but then the actions you read into it. And we are all guilty of that. And as you get older, you realize to just take people at face value and you just like, you know, but I don't no, know. I, I'm
2: to be- I know. I feel the way that way all last season. And I'm sure after the season, like, you know, Wrapped and everything like I really felt that and I believe that is the truth. I just think things changed
1: mm. in between
2: the seasons and she and then he even said like, th- there's just so much that doesn't get on air too. And I, f- yep. I don't know, I just feel n- something wasn't adding up. And maybe it's because, like, I'm from Minnesota, and I feel, like, a little protective of Luke, because I feel like, (laughs) yeah, he lives in New York City, but he's got this Minnesota mentality. And he's not someone who's, like, just trying to get famous, right? He's, like...
1: Mm, I I disagree with that.
2: (laughs) I mean, I think... Okay, so he definitely wants to be famous because he became a model and all of those things, but... I don't think he is trying to concoct like storylines or I think he's kind of like this yeah. fell into my lap be and I'm going to do it right. Cause this can yep. further maybe other career opportunities. Yeah. I'm going to go on this show. Whereas I think Hannah is like truly like I'm going to go on the show and I'm going to run it and everyone's going to love me and I'm going to like, you know bounce my podcast off of this and then okay you know kyle yelled at us for giggling we're going to form giggly squad we're going to get everyone to buy our merch like she's very calculated in how she's trying to sell herself and i just think she's the least i don't know um real of the people like i feel like Lindsay is very authentically herself i feel like kyle amanda carl danielle are all like very authentically themselves even Paige you know, is just staying out of stuff and just kind of like, you know, in the peanut gallery watching. Yeah. Like that's sort of yeah. her you know, there on the funny show.
1: Page.
2: Yeah. So I don't know, something just doesn't sit right with me. And I don't like that Hannah had her new fiance on Watch What Happens live and then he's like, Oh, she doesn't let me watch the show.
1: Oh. Okay. And I was like that's as
2: soon as that happened was when I was like bought into this narrative. <laughs> where i was okay, like well she's hiding some shit
1: i saw that preview for i don't know if it was the mid-season trailer or the next week episode preview or whatever where the boyfriend arrives and he seems he was serving me uh bow, like Starcy's bow is in like wants to be in that mix and be in there because he seemed to be like stirring it a bit and loving the cameras and stuff which is a great mix for hannah um so a couple things that you just <laughs> said first i think that I don't think Carl is Mr. Authentic. Like I, th- really? I like Carl, but I, yeah. And when you were really liking how he was like taking accountability and stuff, I think it was more, I think he, his image is like the good guy now, like that's, and he's really wants that image. Um, So I think that's in his mind of like, I'm the nice guy now. So I'm going to apologize. Um, so I don't think that Carl's Mr. Authentic. I think with Hannah, everything you said about how calculated she is completely true. But I also think that, and it's like two things are true at once. Yes, she's calculated, business savvy, went on for a platform, like milks it, like sees opportunities. She knows where to swerve and move. But I also think she's like this irrational, emotional narcissist, which is why she works so well on the show, because I think that side we see of her, I don't think it's just like a performance. Like I think that is her as well. So I think it's like both of them. And she reminds me a lot of a friend, a friend of mine that. Is very savvy and knows stuff like that. It's a friend that I referenced earlier, but she also was like cuckoo. And you try to explain something and you're like, no, that's not what happened. And she doesn't <laughs> get it. So I think that I think Hannah is like these two things. And I think that's why she's like done as well as she has. And I think that Hannah, if you go back and watch all the Summer House seasons with her, she's pretty much made every single season about herself. Like she's been the center of every season since she joined. And yes some of that is like savvy of like knowing reality television and being of the age she is and being a bravo fan but it's also you kind of have to have that type of personality where you suck all the air out the room just naturally wherever you are like i imagine that if you are hanging out with hannah in real life it's suddenly you're at a group dinner and it's all about hannah and you don't even realize and it's just that's just who she is
2: yeah yeah she's someone that I don't think I could handle being friends with. But I oh. did like her on the show for the last two seasons. It wasn't until so Jamie Stein came on my podcast and he was saying how he watched the first two the seasons 3 and 4. He like binged all of them and he was like Hannah is the true villain of the show. And I was yeah. like, "Well, I mean, yes, she is and how did I not see that before? I like totally saw it differently, but um and I'm not saying I she shouldn't sort of, be on the show. I just yeah. think she is a villain that I didn't
1: recognize as a villain. She is, and I love it, and it makes incredible t- – I think she's fantastic on the show. Like I'm a big fan of her, and I dip into her podcast sometimes, uh, and I actually like it. I enjoy – I think she's good at – I just think she's, she's a good – media personality yeah. if that makes sense i saw her actually very interesting
2: in it was the last live stand-up comedy show i went to was uh, in end of january 2020 and she did stand-up in dc and was she funny she was okay she was much better off the cuff so like mm. her her you know practice jokes didn't always land But then when she took questions from the audience and she was giving answers and just, like, being herself, that's when she really was shining.
1: And she was hilarious when she was answering questions. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's... Some people are just... They're good at... Like, Nene Leakes is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. Nene Leakes is just good being herself. Put her in... Put a camera in front of her and put her on a reality show, but she's not you know a talk show host or something like she has all these aspirations to do all that all these other things i was like no you're you know she's not a good actress it's like you're just good at being Nene leaks
2: yeah definitely okay well thank you so much for joining this podcast and for sharing all of your unpopular opinions i really (laughs) appreciate it can you tell everyone where they can find you where they can read what you write, where they can listen to your podcast, where they can, you know, see you on social, all the stuff.
1: Yes. Uh, please subscribe to my podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Unpopular with Jacques Peterson. You can also follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Unpopular JP. And thanks so much again for having me on, Mandy. And like I said, you were literally the first person that – reached out to me and i totally made a mental note of that so look when i'm bigger than joe rogan i'll shout (laughs) you dinner or something (laughs) let's hope
2: you (laughs) you get bigger than joe rogan because (laughs) i i was reading somewhere earlier today that he is the gwyneth paltrow like he's like the goop for like men
1: but i love i love joe rogan (laughs) it's just
2: exactly it's like such shit it's like goop but for men (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh my! I love Joe Rogan, but you know what? Now this is a little tangent I'm just getting off on, but I think that Joe Rogan has now hit his, I don't know if you were ever a Howard Stern fan, but no. there was a point when, okay, I didn't think so. But look, there was a point when Howard kind of sold out a little bit and I feel like Joe Rogan's hit that. I feel, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: anyway, funny, look, though. thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
2: And we'll have to have you on again for sure. Yes. I love my Aussies. <laughs>
1: spring time to take in a breath of fresh savings on appliances at the home depot spring savings event in-store online all season long save a bundle on the samsung front load platinum washer and dryer plus get free and flexible delivery that'll give a whole new meaning to spring cleaning and a whole new upgrade to your laundry bring on spring with the spring savings event now at the home depot how doers get more done us only while supplies last